Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 9. When they came back from the tomb, they told all of these things about finding Jesus' tomb empty uh, to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they, the apostles, did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Right? Wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, remember our best friend who died a few days ago? He's not dead, actually. He's not in that grave anymore. He's alive. You're crazy. I'm not believing that. Seems like a reasonable response. Because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Verse 12. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Well, today is a special day for those of us who profess Jesus as our Savior. It's the day that we remember when, after three days of being buried in a tomb, after his death sentence was carried out, Jesus rose from the dead. And he gives, and his life gives us life. And I say it's a great day for those of us who profess Jesus as our Savior. Uh, but in order to do that, we have to admit that we even need a Savior. But that's hard to do sometimes. Right? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I don't like to admit weakness. Right? It's hard to admit when I'm wrong or when I've messed up. It's never fun, right? And trust me, I've had to do that a lot in my life. So how do we get to the point where we know that we need a Savior in our lives? Well, I could stand up here and I'd give you all kinds of uh, reasons and points from, from Scripture. I could go into a reasoned defense of our Christian faith and talk about the historical basis for believing in the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, we just read about how the tomb was found empty. Uh, that's not really disputed uh, historically. Uh, and we'll touch on all of that stuff, you know, over time, over the years. But for me, some of the most transformative experiences are hearing other people's stories. Right? Hearing from someone for whom a resurrected Jesus made all the difference. That can be hugely compelling. So today... We're going to do something that we actually did last Easter. We're going to hear from someone who was actually with Jesus. Someone for whom the resurrection was uniquely personal. How are we going to do this? I'm not going to take a passage from Scripture and work through it, interpreting everything and applying it. I do that, uh, you know, pretty much every sermon. <clears throat> this week we're going to use our imagination a little bit. And as I've said uh, previously, our imagination isn't scripture. But God can use our imagination when we set it apart for his glory and the benefit of fellow, our fellow image bearers. The imagination is, is like a river. right? It, when it flows within its bounds, it can be life-giving and powerful. But when it overflows its bounds, it can become destructive and deadly. So God has given us our imaginations to use in service to him. So our imagination today will be informed and bounded by scripture. 
and hopefully it can help us to grasp more personally what the resurrection meant back then and what it can mean for us today. We're going to imagine Peter this morning. Uh, he was one of the inner circle for Jesus. Uh, he was one of the 12 main followers, but his relationship with Jesus went even further than that, went even deeper than that. He was kind of within the inner circle of the inner circle, the, the three, uh, Peter, James, and John, who, was, who went really deep with Jesus. He was cocky sometimes, right? He was impulsive. He was strong-willed. And everything he did or felt, he did or felt passionately, right? He was a little bit of a wild card. And just for your information here, as I go through this, I picture Peter being from Brooklyn. Uh, so as I read through this, don't be surprised if, if a, few years of, of, a few of my years in Brooklyn come out a little bit. So here we go. Let's hear from Peter. Hey, everybody. My name is Peter. Some of you might not know me. Others, others may. That's okay. I got to say it's a little weird being in such a nice building after all that me and the other guys went through in those early days. Right, now listen, there's a lot that I could tell you about those early days, but a lot of the stuff that we went through, you know, get, uh, starting the church, spreading the gospel, Jesus, about Jesus being killed and buried and then raised from the dead, that all happened after what I'm going to tell you about today. I want to tell you why me and some of the guys went through what we did to get this church started, why we were so passionate about all of that. So my brother Andrew first introduced me to Jesus. He said, dude, Simon. I went by Simon back then. He said, dude, I think I just met the Messiah. Okay, so I've been a Jew my whole life. We've had prophecies about our Messiah for hundreds of years. After a while, you just get used to the idea that these prophecies are always going to be about the future. Right? It couldn't possibly be coming true during my lifetime. That would be weird. But when my brother tossed out the Messiah word, naturally I was curious. So I went with him, and we actually hung out with this Jesus guy for the afternoon. Then, I, then we went home. Jesus was totally unique. And if I'm being honest, a little strange. Right? But I just figured, hey, these are the kinds of people my brother hangs out with. So. It wasn't until a little while later that I was out at work. I was fishing uh, when I saw him again. So we'd been fishing all night. We hadn't caught a thing. And we know, we know these waters. Right? We know these fish. We've been doing this all our lives. And that night we caught nothing. So I was exhausted. But Jesus comes walking along the shore with a small group of people and he asks to use our boat to speak from so that the, the people can hear him a little better. So we let him do his teaching thing from our boat. And then when he's done, he tells us to put our nets back out in the water. Well, I have to tell you, I, I thought the guy was nuts. It's like, man, I don't know you, but you're clearly not a fisherman. Right? Now, I could tell from his hands he was a tradesman, but you, I know a fisherman when I see one. Right? I know a fisherman when I smell one. <laughs> and this guy clearly was not one. But like I said, I was intrigued by him. Right? He, was, he was strange. His teaching was, it was different. And I, and I don't know what it was, but something about the way he told us to put the nets out, I just felt like I should. I was too tired to argue anymore. So we did. 
And wouldn't you know it, the nets filled so fast with fish that the boat almost tipped over. And we had to get help to pull them all in. So he's just watching me struggle with this net, not really helping either, I have to say. But once we got all the fish in, he goes, hey, Simon, follow me, and I can make you fish for people. I was like, oh, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what things are like for you these days, but back in my day, you did not want to pull a person up in your nets. It's called a bad day at the office. But I tell you what, it was a real honor in my day to be picked up, to be a disciple, to be tabbed as a disciple by a rabbi. It meant getting more education. It meant status. It meant respect. And it didn't take me long to figure out that my fishing wasn't going to get me that. Not to mention the whole miracle thing with the fish just now. So off Andrew and I went. Have you ever been on the outside of a hurricane kind of looking in, and, and the air outside of it's fairly calm. You feel the wind, but you, you know it's not really the full force of the storm. But then when the storm itself hits, you just get sucked in, and off you go. One minute you're standing on the shore, the next minute you're taking off your feet, and you're going 100 miles an hour. That's kind of what it was like for me following Jesus. One day I'm minding my own business, like literally minding my business of fishing. And the next day I'm following Jesus and I'm seeing the craziest stuff. Like he was healing people. Now I've seen some of what you guys call healers today, right? The doctors, the nurses, the surgeons. And first of all, wow. Okay, we didn't have that stuff back in my day. But what Jesus was doing, this was like on a whole other dimension, right? He would, he would talk to the sickness and it would leave. Like he'd take people by the hands who, who couldn't get up and they'd stand up like it was nothing. Not, and I know this, this might be hard to believe, but this actually happened to me. I mean, well, not me, me specifically, it was actually with my mom. Right, she was sick, like on the way out, sick. And Andrew and I, we were really worried about her. Uh, but we didn't want to interrupt Jesus for this. But we go to our house, we're hanging out for a bit, and Jesus goes up and he heals her like it's nothing. Listen, I could, I could go on and on about the stuff that I saw when I was with Jesus. I think some of it got written down somewhere. You can try to find that sometime. Just crazy stuff. But the reason I followed him wasn't just because of the miracles and the incredible teaching he did. Right? Those things were awesome and we were learning a ton. But it was my relationship with Jesus that made me stick to him like glue. See, it wasn't easy for me to have friends growing up. I'm a pretty black and white, passionate, energetic guy. I never met a debate that I didn't like. Right? I wasn't even the best debater. I just liked doing it. Right? I, couldn't, I couldn't argue with like, like people like, like, like my buddy Paul does. Like He could debate. I couldn't do that, but I just had fun with it. So I, always, I was always arguing with other kids growing up. I just knew I was right about everything and that everyone wanted to know why I was right about everything. That wasn't a formula for a ton of friendships. Even when I grew up, I was still known as a hothead, right? I'd lose my temper, I'd get into fights. Nobody wanted me around for Thanksgiving, right? 
because I'd always be the one to find something to argue about. But I was also an action guy, right? As much as I liked debating, I also just wanted to do something, right? Enough talking, let's do something about it, right? That was, that was my motto. And maybe that's another reason why I was so ready to go follow Jesus. You know, like my, the fishing business, I knew all about that. I knew where it was going to take me. I think I was kind of bored with it. But I didn't have a lot of options. Following Jesus meant some element of, of mystery, you know, some, some adventure. I needed something in my life, and that was my ticket out of there. So anyway, all my life, people kind of felt like I was a bit of a steamroller, right? And like I said, it wasn't easy to make friends or to keep them. But Jesus, man, it was like, it was like he saw through that. You know, I ticked off a lot of the other disciples sometimes. But Jesus, it's like he saw my impulsiveness, he saw my energy, he saw my fighting spirit, and he goes, you know what? I can use that. I can work with that. He accepted me and worked with me better than anyone I'd ever met. And I didn't make it easy on him. Right? I was always saying something stupid without thinking. And Jesus was always like, all right, now, now Peter, your passion's awesome. It's going to serve me someday. But right now, get a hold of yourself. <laughs> but he always worked with me lovingly, you know? Like he actually still wanted to be my friend. Like he actually wanted to be with me. He accepted, his acceptance of me made me want to do anything for him. Right? My passion for life just got shifted to a passion for life with Jesus. I, I got to share this story because it's something I'm, I'm both really proud of but also kind of ashamed of. But it's crazy, right? So we're all out on this boat one night. Jesus hadn't come with us. And it's me and the other disciples. And all, the, all, the, all of a sudden, this ghost starts walking towards us on the water. Okay, now don't laugh at me. It was, it was dark, it was windy, it was a storm, we were exhausted. If you see somebody walking towards you in those circumstances, you're on the boat, what are you going to think? Right? Ghost, right? It's a ghost. Anyway, eventually Jesus talks to us and we realize it's actually him. But we're still really spooked. So I'm just like, hey, if it's really you, Jesus, tell me to come out onto the water and walk to you. Because I figured, hey, if Jesus said I could do it, then I could do it. He believed in me so much, so I wanted to believe in him too. So I jump out of the boat, and I start walking. I start walking on the water toward him. So freaking cool, right? No one else did that. I did that. I did that. So that part I'm proud of. Next part, not so much. Well, you laugh like you've read this before or something. <laughs> I started looking around. I see all the waves and the wind and the thunder. And down I go. I start panicking. But Jesus just bends down and picks me up out of the water like he's lifting me out of a mud puddle. And then he says this, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? I thought I had pretty big faith. <laughs> Man, that hit me like a ton of bricks. 
I love Jesus. I'm not ashamed to say it. I loved him. I still do with all my heart. So when I went, let him down there at the lake, man, that hurt. That hurt probably more than anything in my life. And trust me, I've had to learn that lesson a lot of times over the years. But my worst letdown, that was still coming. Anyway, we were listening to Jesus teaching one day. Uh, he was talking about a, uh, to a bunch of people, and he said something pretty tough. He was talking about the bread of life. Okay, so a little, little, little background here. See, back when the Jews were wandering around in the desert uh, in the scriptures, what you guys call the Old Testament, um, they're wandering around in the desert for a long time. They needed food. And God provided for them miraculously by giving them a new kind of food. <clears throat> and it was so new that the Jewish people, they didn't have a name for it, so they called it man. Uh, what is this? We, we, we weren't the most creative with our naming conventions back then. We eventually just shortened it to man. Uh. Anyway, this bread would only last one day before it went bad. But that was okay because God gave them a fresh supply every single day. It was incredible. It was just enough for what they needed. So Jesus starts talking about this other bread of life and how if you eat it, you'll never be hungry again. It will last forever. Now, this all sounds pretty good, right? But the hard part came just after that. He goes, I am the bread of life. If you, if you eat my body and drink my blood, then you will live. He says, my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my body and drinks my blood remains in me and me in them. Ew. <laughs> right? That's disgusting. Now, of course, after Jesus raised from the dead, we figured out what he was saying. It was all symbolic. Right? Metaphor. But at the time, it was gross. Actually, it was such a repulsive idea that a lot of his followers left him. It was kind of sad seeing them leave. Now, maybe, maybe some of them had other lives that they could go back to, but like I told you before, this guy accepted me better than anyone I'd ever encountered before. He had patience with me that went beyond what my own mother would have given me. So I couldn't imagine leaving him now. He meant too much. So Jesus sees all these people leaving him, and he turns to the 12 of us, who've kind of been his go-to group, you know? He says, what about you guys? You gonna leave too? It was quiet for a minute. I just said, Jesus, where else are we gonna go? Right, we've heard and seen enough to know that you are the real deal. You're the one from God we've been waiting for. So no, no, we're not going anywhere. And I don't care where that takes us. And, you know, I said those words, but it just kind of solidified in my own head my dedication to Jesus. His, his love for me meant more than words could ever say. So I figured I'd let my actions do the talking, and I'd stick with them through thick and thin. <clears throat> so listen, I don't want to go nuts telling you people everything that we saw and that we did. Jesus' message, his miracles, these things were starting to tick off the religious leaders at the time. So they actually started making moves to arrest him and kill him. 
And ultimately, it was an inside hit job that did it. Two-faced son of a guy, Judas. He's lucky he's dead already because if he wasn't, I'd be looking for him right now. That's the old me talking. <laughs> but I'd be lying if I said I never thought that, right? <sighs> That's not who I am anymore. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm still going to come at you if you come at my Jesus. If you say something against him, I'm still going to defend him to my dying day. But I'm just going to do it in Christian charity. <laughs> So anyway, we're all in this garden. Jesus just finished praying for a while, and who walks up but jerky Judas and his mob of merry men? They come at Jesus, and I was just like, oh, no, you're not going to do that. So I grab a sword, and I start swinging. I actually cut a guy's ear off. Uh, but if I'm honest, I wasn't really aiming for his ear. Someone bumped me. I missed but Jesus stops me, and he goes and heals the guy's ear, because of course he does. And then he yells at me to put the sword away. So I do. Jesus ends up not putting up a fight at all. He just, he just goes with him. He didn't do anything. He just left. So naturally, I followed him. Now, let me tell you, we faced a lot of stuff when we were with Jesus, right? We've had angry mobs before. We've had fights and things. That night was different. You could tell from the way Jesus acted that he knew it was different. Honestly, Jesus was making me a little nervous, right? What's his plan? He's always got a plan. Why is he giving in like this? Doesn't he hear what people are saying? They're talking crucifixion. Didn't he hear that? Of course he heard it. He hears everything, right? He could even hear thoughts. And that's why what I did next haunts me so much. Because while he was being taunted, accused, and all that stuff, I was outside. Right? Some people recognized me. They started telling people, hey, he was with Jesus. I heard what they were saying. I heard how, how ticked off people were. I heard the word crucifixion being tossed around for Jesus. So I was scared. So I denied knowing him. I denied being his friend. How many times have people denied knowing me? How many people had walked away from me because of my temper, because of my arguments, or my actions? Jesus never once turned his back on me, not once. He corrected me, right? even harshly sometimes because it took a lot to get through my thick skull. But he never left me, he never ratted me out or abandoned me. And here I was, paying his faithful love back with faithless rejection. And he knew it. He was inside and I was outside, but I know he could hear what I said. And not just what I'd said, but what I'd repeated over and over, I don't know the guy. 
in the end, the sin in me is no different than the sin in Judas. You ever felt uh, guilt so strong that it, you felt like throwing up? You ever betrayed somebody you loved? That feeling of guilt can eat your guts until you're hollow inside. Do you know how many chances I had to apologize to him before he was killed? None. Not one. That was it. After that, he was taken from us. He was unjustly convicted and hung up on a Roman cross, and I just stood there watching. Could he hear my heart twisting? Could, could he hear my sorrow at having denied the man who had never denied me? Could he tell as I watched him die that he was the best thing to ever have happened to me? To give me life, to give me purpose. I'm sure he could, but I wanted to say it. I didn't get the chance. He was dying, and I was watching. Now, I remember, we didn't know he was coming back to life. Right? I mean, okay, he, like he dropped a thousand not-so-subtle hints that he was. <laughs> we were kind of thick. The lights didn't come on until later when, when, we got, when the Spirit came to us. So watching him die was so final. And I just knew that I was going to have to live with my guilt forever. And that the man who had trusted me so much and loved me so unconditionally and so patiently was gone. They put him in a tomb, which was nice. He was crucified as a criminal, so they could have just put him in a common criminal's grave. But some guy came and offered his tomb, which again, very nice of him. Those next couple of days were dark, man. That guilt in my stomach made its way out into the toilet a couple of times, I can tell you. We weren't really sure what would happen to us either, because we had followed him so closely, we didn't know if they were coming for us next. Man, I spent those days tired, like, like bone tired. Like my whole soul had been tortured along with Jesus and hung out to dry. So when Mary and some of the other women came and told us that the tomb was empty and that Jesus had risen, you can imagine the stir that caused. Right, a couple of us ran down to the tomb to, to see, and sure enough, no body. I didn't know what to think at first, but eventually we came to believe the truth. He was back. You ever seen The Matrix? <laughs> Great movie. Where Neo finally realizes who he is at the end of the movie. Right? He's just been shot like a million times. You think he's dead, but then he comes up, stands back to life, and when you see him stand up, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. it's like butt-kicking time, right? That's the feeling we all had. Jesus was actually dead. And here he was. If crucifixion couldn't bring him down, nothing could. These Roman soldiers 
Killing was their job. They were good at it. So if they couldn't kill Jesus, if death couldn't kill him, then man, the world better look out. Because Jesus was coming on a whirlwind. But it, it, was, it was like a soft whirlwind. Because now that he was alive, like I had a chance to see him again. I had a chance to, to, to touch him again. I had a chance to look into his eyes and for him to look into my heart and for me to say, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And he could say, it's forgiven. All of it. It's all Like I said, some of the other stuff that happened after that, it was written down somewhere. You can take a look at it for yourself. But for me, the moment my heart came back to life was when Jesus came back to life. So we don't know if that's how it went. <laughs> that might not have been too far off. And like Peter, some of us may have come in today with empty souls, bone-tired, feelings of guilt, feelings of rejection, whatever. But today, your soul can have life because Jesus is alive. He lived the perfect life that was required of us. He died the death that was ours to die because of our sin. And his resurrection from the dead gives us hope that his victory is final. And while we may have difficulty here on earth, while we may have some nights here on earth, his presence is with us always and forever and no matter what. And his joy comes in the morning. If you're curious about what it might mean for you to follow Jesus, or if you have any other questions, please come see me after the service. I would love to listen and to walk that journey with you.